These guns are weapons of choice for many criminals. We're going to do everything we can to deprive them of that choice. And when we find them, put them in jail for a long, long time. Law enforcement is sounding the alarm. Our communities are paying the price, and we're acting. Today, the United States Department of Justice is making it illegal for a business to manufacture one of these kits without a serial number. Last week, President Biden and the Justice Department cracked down on so-called ghost guns. Ghost guns are untraceable firearms that people build privately from kits or using a 3D printer. They don't have serial numbers. According to White House data, the number of ghost gun seizures during criminal investigations have increased tenfold since 2016. There have been 15 ghost gun shootings already this year. At least five of the perpetrators were minors. That's according to Every Town for Gun Safety, which tracks shootings involving ghost guns. And now the Biden administration has regulated who can buy them. They've also clarified that even in pieces, they qualify as firearms. That means they're all required to have serial numbers. Efforts among Senate Republicans to block the measure are already underway, and gun rights organizations have threatened to sue the Biden administration. What happens now? We'll get into all that and more after the break. I'm Jen White. You're listening to the 1A Podcast, where we get to the heart of the story. To join future conversations, have your questions answered on future topics, or just to let us know what you think, tweet us at 1A. Now let's jump into our conversation on ghost guns. Joining us is David Chipman. He's a former special agent for the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives. He was also President Biden's former nominee to head the Bureau. The president withdrew his nomination after fierce opposition from gun rights groups and Senate Republicans during the confirmation process. Now he's a senior policy advisor at Giffords. That's an organization started by former Democratic Congresswoman Gabrielle Giffords to end gun violence. David, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Also with us is San Diego's Mayor, Democrat Todd Gloria. San Diego County banned ghost guns last year. Mayor Gloria, it's great to have you with us. Thanks for the opportunity, Jen. So I first want to get each of your reactions to the Biden administration's new regulations. Uh, David, first, give us a brief overview of what this rule would do. Well, importantly, uh, for the first time, it formally addresses that ghost guns are, in fact, a problem. Uh, which is a far cry from what we saw when law enforcement was first raising the alarm uh, during the early Trump administration. So that's good news. Uh, It's an attempt to make sure that someone who builds a gun on their own um, is regulated in sort of the same fashion as you would uh, if you were making guns as a company. And I think that that makes sense. David, what is your reaction to these new regulations from the Biden administration? Do you think they'll be effective? Well, it's going to be progress. Um, And I think in the question that you were just asked, it's not a a perfect solution. Uh, Congress would actually have to act to ban ghost guns altogether. But let's just say this. If you could go online and buy kits that would allow you to make crack easily at home, we would have a bigger crack problem than we have now. And so what this attempts to do is frustrate the attempts of criminals and extremists and those who profit from selling them to those types of people from easily being able to do it. So uh, again, gun violence is a very complicated thing. And just because we can't solve all gun crime or prevent all gun crime, it doesn't mean we shouldn't do exactly what we should try to do to make it better. And this will make things better. Mayor Gloria, what about you? What was your reaction to the Biden administration's move? 
extreme gratitude. You know, we at the local level have been acting on this issue for some time now. In 2021, we established our first ghost guns unit at the San Diego Police Department and later that fall passed an ordinance at the city and the county level. It's helpful to have federal support in this effort for those of us that recognize these guns as guns, right? They shoot like guns, they kill like guns, they should be regulated like guns. It's helpful to have the full weight of the federal government say uh, that they're in agreement with us and will help us combat these weapons of death that are on our city streets. I want to play this message we got from Jesse in Austin, Texas. I've worked at gun stores and own and manufacture several firearms. And the misnomer with those is that having a serial number makes them trackable. And that's just completely false because the serial number has nothing to do with the ballistics of a weapon and what the government uses to track them in association with a crime. So the federal government implementing a control where you have to have a background check for a non-serialized component will make it more difficult for somebody that shouldn't have one to get one, but there's always illegal means for them to get it. We also got this message from Jordan who says the existence of a serial number doesn't mean the gun is within law enforcement knowledge or control, and it definitely doesn't mean the gun is traceable. But of course, guns should still have serial numbers. David, just, just set the record straight for us. What are serial numbers on guns used for? Well, they're used to... Um create leads for law enforcement to solve crime. They're, they're no different than when I responded to the first World Trade Center bombing in Oklahoma City. The first thing we did was try to find the axle of the van that was used to bomb those buildings. We found a VIN number and we were able to develop a lead that led to the arrest of an individual. Uh, there's no legitimate reason to have a gun absent a serial number. And if you're working really hard to do that, there must be some reason you want to own a gun anonymously. I'm a gun owner. If I wanted to build my own gun, I'd roll into a gun store. I'd buy a serialized frame or receiver and then I'd get the parts to build a gun that gun would be traceable. What we hear from people who know about guns is questions like that, where there's this a lot of confusion, it's a lot of complication. It isn't. Uh, police for years have actually encouraged people to put serial numbers on property of value like TVs. Amir Gloria, in 2020, California accounted for 65% of all ghost guns seized by the ATF. That's according to San Francisco's district attorney's office. And in San Diego, the number of ghost guns retrieved by police increased by 169% in 2020 compared to 2019. That's according to your office. You signed an ordinance last year banning ghost guns in San Diego County. It's called Eliminate Non-Serialized Untraceable Firearms, or ENOUGH. Specifically, what does this ban entail? It bans the making, distribution, and possession of unserialized and untraceable guns uh, in our city. It was authored by Councilwoman Marty Von Wilpert, was passed uh, by a strong vote of the city council and upheld in court to date. Uh, we are trying to lead on this matter for the reason you mentioned. Uh, just alone this year, 20% of all guns that our police officers have confiscated on the streets are ghost guns. Uh, and Jen, I'll tell you, uh, this Sunday will be one year to the day that a man who was barred from having a gun due to his criminal record had a ghost gun and held, executed a mass shooting in the Gaston Quarter in downtown San Diego, killing uh, a young man, a 28-year-old man, Justice Bolden. Uh, his family is without him. And if you look at the horrible closed-circuit video uh, that captures his murder, you will understand why these 
weapons need to be traceable. For the folks that want people held accountable for crime, this is one way that our police officers can hold folks more accountable. Uh, it's just a no-brainer, and I'm grateful that we're leading on this matter. If these guns are difficult to trace, how do you enforce the ban? What's the enforcement mechanism at play? Well, it gives our officers more probable cause, more ability to be able to enforce many of the things uh, that when we have confiscated these uh, weapons, uh, there are other charges that are there, but we're trying to make the manufacture and sale of these uh, weapons within our city uh, less likely. Now, we know that people want to work their way around this, but every one of these guns that are that there are fewer of in our city, uh, the better off we'll be. Uh, you know, just in the last month alone, we've had multiple shootings uh, in one of our amusement parks along our beach. Uh, these are where families go to congregate, to have a good time. Uh, They shouldn't have to be uh, concerned about ghost guns and the fact that criminals who are otherwise prohibited from having guns can get easy access to them. So uh, it is on the books. It's enforceable by the city. It has been upheld by the courts. uh, And we'll do everything we can, but we welcome the additional federal assistance. All of it adds up to creating more safety in our neighborhoods. Well, so far in 2022, the San Diego Police Department has recovered 724 guns. 20% of them were ghost guns. How does that compare to previous years? I can tell you, in 2019, we confiscated 52 ghost guns. 2020 became 211. 2021, 545. And we're at 143 for the year to date. You see the exponential growth, and this is why additional action beyond local government action uh, is necessary. Uh, there's a reason why these are proliferating. We have done a good job, I think, of, of, of putting sensible controls in for legal guns. These illegal guns are the ones that we need to focus on. Uh, and I'm grateful to be a part of a national network of mayors that are taking this kind of action. We recognize that Congress is paralyzed on this matter. I just have to ask those members of Congress, if your loved one was a, was a victim of a ghost gun, wouldn't you want there to be more probability that there is evidence that could lead to that person's capture? Wouldn't you want your own loved one to have that ability, that, that accountability that currently does not necessarily exist in all jurisdictions? So this ban took effect last October. How will you measure whether it's, it's successful in keeping these guns off the streets? Well, obviously, we'd like to see a reduction in the number of guns, the number of violent incidences, um, and more uh, accountability in terms of prosecution. Uh, The law has been in place for just a few months now, um, and we'll see how we do. I welcome the chance to come back and explain to what we've done here in San Diego, and, and I'm hopeful that it's a positive story that other cities want to emulate. That's San Diego Mayor Todd Gloria, a Democrat. Mayor Gloria, thanks for speaking with us. Thank you. Let's add another voice to the conversation. Joining us now is Alex McCourt. He's an assistant professor at Johns Hopkins School of Public Health. He studies firearm policy. Professor McCourt, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. So there have been 15 ghost gun shootings already this year. At least five of the perpetrators were minors. That's according to Every Town for Gun Safety, which tracks shootings involving ghost guns. I would imagine collecting data on untraceable guns is difficult, but how much do we know about who owns these guns? We actually don't know very much at all. Data is is very, very limited. Um, It's difficult to get data on uh, gun ownership in general. And as you noted, with these guns that are um, unserialized and and don't require a background check, it's even more difficult. We should mention here that we reached out to the ATF and the Justice Department to ask for their participation in the show, but they did not respond. How have laws and regulations evolved alongside this new technology, Professor McCord? Well, it's been relatively slow. There have been some uh, changes at the local and state level, as as we just heard from uh, the mayor of San Diego. 
But some of these earlier laws were focused more on undetectable firearms or firearms that had no metal pieces. So, so somebody could pass through a metal detector um, or uh, guns that were very cheaply made and didn't function very well. So policy has, has not kept pace with technology here. Technology has moved much more rapidly. And even where states have acted, uh, it's been difficult to enforce because we have this patchwork of, uh, of state laws and these guns often live online. The kits are ordered online and they're shipped to different places. And so state-specific regulations don't always do the trick. Well, earlier today, we spoke with Rob Pincus. He's a firearms safety trainer and a former law enforcement officer based in Colorado. He's the executive vice president of 2AO, that Second Amendment organization, a nonprofit advocating for firearms owners and businesses. And I started by asking him about his reaction to the Biden administration's new rule. So the two key changes are these kit manufacturers will have to do a background check on someone purchasing a kit, and these kits will have to have a serial number attached. Do you think that's a reasonable expectation for people who purchase these these firearms? I don't. The private gun-making hobby has been around for a long time. The vast majority of people who engage in the hobby are already responsible gun owners. They're very familiar with firearms. They own firearms. They've gone through background checks. They probably are the types of people that have concealed carry permits in the states where it's required. And again, they, they already understand the firearm. It, it is very, very unlikely that someone is purchasing one of these kits with no connection to the firearms industry, no experience with firearms ownership, and, and without at least a guide into firearms ownership um, and completing one of them on their own. Um, in fact, I've guided a couple of journalists through the process who believed it was very simple because of some of the po- political hype around this uh, gun-making activity and found out very quickly that it's not nearly as easy as it's sometimes made out to be. But for people who say, you know, I'm a domestic violence survivor, I'm concerned about someone who shouldn't have access to a gun being able to get one through this process, what do you say to them? I'm concerned about anyone who has the intention of hurting another person getting a firearm by any process or you know any weapon for that matter, right? Any tool. I, I'm concerned about a, a guy or a, a girl who is stronger than their domestic partner abusing them and physically hurting them even without a weapon. Uh, you know, no one does more to prevent violence involving firearms than responsible firearms owners and the gun industry, whether it's the National Shooting Sports Foundation, uh, organizations like Firearms Policy Coalition, or my own organization, Second Amendment Organization. We're trying to reduce the negative outcomes involving firearms, honestly, more than anybody because it affects us. It affects our community. You know, I'm a, I'm a father. I'm a grandfather. I'm concerned about violence in schools, violence anywhere. Um, and and the, the idea that someone's going to put in the time, effort, and energy to make a gun on their own, and that, that is going to be the source of the violence that affects my family members, um, being very close to this issue, being a former law enforcement officer, I just don't see it playing out that way. Okay, so with that, with that framing and your argument that people who are accessing these kits are responsible gun owners, in that case... Why would it be an issue to include a background check or to have a serial number tracking these if these are people who are already playing by the rules? Well, this is the fundamental argument that surrounds the gun rights issue in the United States. Fundamentally, the Second Amendment clearly states shall not be infringed. We know that the Supreme Court has said that there can be reasonable restrictions put in place, but but that definition has never been made clear. Um, Most gun owners accept background checks, but most gun rights advocates point out that it is pretty clearly an infringement, and, and I'm in that group also. I think if you look at the growth of concealed carry across our country, it's a great example for what I think the future of background checks 
context is. You know, 30 years ago, there were 13 states where you couldn't legally carry a gun for personal defense. Through the 1990s, we had the shall issue permit system grow, which again, having to get a permit, having to get training, having to pay a fee, having to get a background check done to get a permit to exercise a civil right is still an infringement. But the responsible exercise of that right over the last 20 plus years has led to now half of the states in our country not requiring a permit. It's known as permitless carry or constitutional carry for defense. And I, and I see background checks going the same way. Yeah, we've lived under this burden for a long time. Uh, I think we've shown that the firearms community is incredibly responsible. The vast majority of the 400 plus million guns that we know about, not even counting quote unquote ghost guns and privately made guns, are stored properly and used safely and responsibly by gun owners. And I think we're going to see the background check system go away in the future. We, we've we heard from law enforcement that more of these ghost guns are showing up when they're involved in criminal investigations and they're concerned about the proliferation of these guns on the streets and, and how it um, affects their ability to keep their communities safe. How do you respond to those concerns as someone who worked in law enforcement? Well, as someone who worked in law enforcement and someone who, who still works with the law enforcement community providing training in a variety of different areas, including the interaction with responsible legal gun owners, uh, I'm concerned about any time someone is breaking the rules. The ghost gun restrictions are what are going to keep the guns out of the hands of criminals. Uh, again, I just see this as a talking point for gun control advocates. It's become very, very popular. It seems to be low-hanging fruit. It's easy to cast a privately made gun or a quote-unquote untraceable firearm as something that is really nefarious. But the reality is criminals have had guns that couldn't be traced for a long time. My dad was a cop. I've got pictures of him uh, in the newspapers in the 70s with, you know, here's cash, here's drugs, and here's guns. And those guns couldn't be traced either, whether it was because of serial numbers being removed, because they were manufactured before 1968 when it wasn't required to keep logs of serial numbers and register them with the federal government, or maybe even guns that have been sold in the private sector, which is still legal in the vast majority of states around the United States, they can't be traced because there's no record because it hasn't the sale hasn't gone through a dealer. So again, uh, is there an increase in the, the quote unquote ghost guns being found by law enforcement in crime activity? Obviously, that's being reported, but it's always unclear whether that's violent crime, theft, uh, confiscations of other kinds tied to drugs or other things. Or again, are these actually kit made guns? Or are they just guns that have been used by criminals as they traditionally always have been? That's a problem, but it's not a problem with privately made firearms. Well, there have been 15 shootings this year using these firearms. At least five of the perpetrators were minors. That's according to Every Town for Gun Safety, which tracks shootings involving ghost guns. What kinds of regulations do you think should be in place to make sure these don't end up in the hands of people who shouldn't have them? And if they do get involved in a crime, that law enforcement's able to track where that gun came from? Well, a couple of things. First, again, it is incredibly important to remember that minors are restricted from accessing firearms outside of the supervision of their parents in the vast majority of circumstances all around our country. So if a minor has one of these firearms, um, it's really no different than having any other firearm. There are already laws on the books. There are already people that need to be held accountable for that when there's any unauthorized access to a firearm, for example. It, except if that, if that weapon doesn't have a serial number, it makes it much more difficult to track back to someone who actually purchased it. So with a serial number involved, that could make it easier for law enforcement. So again, what kinds of regulations would you think would be necessary, useful to help keep track of these weapons? It can be, but for example, right here in the recent history, we've had this subway shooting in New York where I've seen some news media outlets suggest that because the firearm had a serial number on it, it makes a case 
for not allowing guns to exist without a serial number. That gentleman was not caught because of a serial number on his gun. And in fact, very, very, very few crimes are solved because of a serial number that's on a gun. Even the person who spoke at the White House, uh, the teenager who was a tragic victim of violence inside of her school, who lost two friends to violence inside of her school, you know, it was reported that that was a ghost gun. But the fact is, it was also a stolen gun from someone who had both privately made guns and traditionally purchased guns. So the fact that it happened to be an unserialized gun, as is the case in most of these events, really isn't material to either what happened or holding people accountable for what happened. So to your mind, these weapons should be completely unregulated and untraceable. I think that all firearms should be treated responsibly. All firearms should be used properly. And that means not allowing someone who isn't trained in their use or has negative motivations or, or isn't capable of understanding the ramifications of reuse. We're talking about people that have um, severe mental issues that affect their ability to understand what they're doing, their judgment of their environment, or they do have actually violent tendencies. That's very, very rare in the mental health community, but those people exist. People with criminal intent. We have people who aren't physically or mentally capable of understanding how to use the gun. That often includes younger children. Uh, all firearms should be treated responsibly and Preventing unauthorized access is really the number one safety responsibility of all gun owners, gun manufacturers, the gun industry, and private gun makers. But that doesn't require the involvement of the federal government. It certainly doesn't require the involvement of law enforcement. It requires responsible gun ownership, and that's about education. It's about awareness, and that's what the vast majority of the gun community believes in and propagates throughout our country. That was Rob Pincus. He's a firearms safety trainer and former law enforcement officer based in Colorado. He's the executive vice president of 2AO, the Second Amendment organization, a nonprofit advocating for firearms owners and businesses. I quickly want to hear from each of you your responses to what we just heard. Professor McCourt? Well, I think it's a it's a very important perspective to hear from uh from people who make these guns as, as a hobby. I think focusing on responsible gun owners, however, um, misses the point a little bit because I think that we've seen um, people who have uh, histories of uh, violence and also um, young children able to access and, and make these guns pretty easily and it's resulted in some, some tragic outcomes. I think responsible gun owners are often very easily able to pass a background check and, and get these guns because they're legally allowed and, and, and uh, are can have passed background checks before. Um, so I think it's it's a little bit misleading. David, your thoughts? Well, Mr. Pincus, by design, was purposely misleading in much of what he said. He started by saying NSSF, the National Shooting Sports Foundation, was the organization most uh, out there worried about safety. Uh, they spend more money than the NRA lobbying Congress to prevent gun safety legislation. Uh, Mr. Pincus said that he was very concerned that gun owners were trained and there shouldn't be unauthorized access, yet he advocates that people should carry concealed, absent any training whatsoever, and he's against background checks, which is the primary way to determine unauthorized access. Um, allowing someone for eight minutes to just spill untruths um, is uh, dangerous business, and that's why we are where we are. I think the facts are quite clear. Guns are dangerous. They're more dangerous when they're in the wrong hands, and government should do whatever possible to prevent crime from happening. We're talking about the Biden administration's new crackdown on so-called ghost guns. We'll be back with more in just a moment. Remember to join future conversations, download our 1A Fox Pop app, and leave us a voicemail.
Now let's get back to our conversation about so-called ghost guns. We received a statement from Aidan Johnson, the uh, Director of Federal Affairs for the GOA, that's the Gun Owners of America, a gun rights lobbyist organization. And the statement reads in part, quote, Biden's proposal to create a comprehensive national gun registry and end the online sale of gun parts without the passage of a new law exemplifies his disregard for the Second Amendment. Congress must provide oversight by striking down ATF's illegal gun registration rule using the Congressional Review Act, just as we oppose the Trump administration's arbitrary ban on bump stocks. GOA will also sue Biden's ATF to halt the implementation of this rule, end quote. Now, David, you've said that really this this requires congressional action. What would you like to see from Congress? I think Congress needs to treat all guns in the same fashion. It shouldn't depend on where uh, the gun is manufactured or by whom. Uh, What we've missed today is that I don't think the typical scenario is that one prohibited individual orders one kit and builds a gun for themselves. What this is, is purposely a way to give firearms traffickers the ability to traffic guns to criminals. And so what I think is really going on here is you have a few people building a lot of ghost guns and then reselling them. And this is another thing that Mr. Pincus knew very well. Um, is, there, is, there data, of, is there data to support that? Has there been any research into that issue? Well, we, we can't really get to this data because by design, Congress prohibits ATF from releasing it. So we get into this circle. I think that I know from my experience as an ATF uh, agent, and I think there's plenty of research that it's actually firearms trafficking uh, that drives guns that are legal into the illegal market. And we've known that for three decades. So that's what we're dealing with here. Um, I think that um, we have to go back to another thing that's really important. Tracing guns does solve crimes. It was interesting to see Mr. Pincus so quickly say there's absolutely no way that tracing the gun had anything to do with the arrest of the Brooklyn subway shooter. I say, where is that information? What I see is that ATF was able to trace this gun that gave police the confidence to put out a photo of the person who had bought the gun and then they were arrested. So, you know, again, I think that what we're up against is we have an industry that profits from selling guns to criminals. And this is perfectly made for that um, because there's a lack of anonymity and the government is right to want to regulate uh, the sale of any gun. Here's another question we got from a listener. Why would people who make ghost guns comply with this new rule? Uh, David, just explain here that the new rules don't necessarily target the buyers. It's really more aimed at the manufacturers, correct? Right. Well, I mean, one of the things is, is that if you're opening an online web uh, uh, site um, and your business is to sell these kits online, you're not going to be able to operate anymore after this um, uh, rule unless you go and get a license. It's the same reason you can't go on to illegaldrugs.com and buy drugs over the internet. I'm not naive to think that criminals won't adapt and try to get around this, but this will be progress. It will make it far less easy to for companies to mass produce these kits that are immediately sold to criminals and extremists. Professor McCourt, we've talked a bit about Congress, and, and we heard the GOA has vowed to fight the Biden administration's ghost gun rule. But meanwhile, Senate Republicans have announced they'll force a vote on the regulations. What do you expect to happen coming out of this vote? 
Well, the Senate Republicans are trying to use the Congressional Review Act to uh, review this regulation. And that's a power that, that Congress has um, under this act uh, that was signed in the 90s, I believe. And um, <clears throat> they can review a policy and, and perhaps have it struck down, but it requires a majority vote of both houses and uh, likely a president's signature unless they can override that. So it seems extremely unlikely that that will happen uh, in this case. However, I think it's an indicator of the type of pushback that uh, the administration and the ATF can expect to receive from this, this rule. They're obviously, um, you know, they, they got hundreds of thousands of comments on the proposed rule. And I, so I think that there will be some pushback and there will certainly be um, some litigation, even if this congressional action fails. Now, the ATF hasn't had a Senate-confirmed head since 2015, I believe. What do you think has happened in the absence of that leadership, David? Well, the leadership is doing the bidding of the industry itself. For anyone who's watched Dope Sick, we see what happened when DEA could not properly regulate the opioid industry. And so the same thing is happening at ATF. We need ATF to have one priority preventing violent crime and helping police to do so. We don't want them going and telling police ghost guns aren't a problem and trying to do a sales uh, thing about ghost guns saying, hey, this is no big deal. Um, And so I think leadership can set the priorities. And I think we want a law enforcement organization to prevent crime and be fair and transparent to the industries they regulate. But in my confirmation process, I heard, uh, you know, from senators that uh, they didn't want to confirm me because I was not endorsed by the gun industry. That's a that's a really interesting bar. And thank God we didn't ask for the endorsement of MS-13 or some other foolish uh, requirement. But that's where we are today in the politics of this issue. And I applaud the president for putting a nominee forward and hopefully lessons learned were from the first process and we can get this individual confirmed. Now, Professor McCourt, Senate Republicans are, are hoping to block President Biden's ghost gun rule. And we'll see what happens with the confirmation proceedings. Meanwhile, Senate Democrats Democrats, including Dianne Feinstein of California, are hoping to pass a bill to ban ghost guns called the Untraceable Firearms Act. What will you be watching for as this issue moves higher up on the chamber's agenda? I think I'll be looking for what the differences are between uh, between this act and what the ATF has has put in its final rule, and also whether we see continuing motivation to pass this legislation, given the ATF has this uh, this rule in place. Or, or in 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 process. I think one important gap in the ATF's rule is 3D printed guns, and so I think it would be important for for Congress to look closely at 3D printed guns to see how those could be regulated. And David, we haven't touched much on 3D printed guns, but what are your concerns specifically about those? Yeah, my concern is is largely two issues have been conflated. There are 3D printed guns, which at first were entirely plastic guns that could go through security. That's not what we're talking about with the ghost gun issue. We're largely talking about someone who prints with a 3D printer, the frame or receiver, that item, if you went into a gun store, you would have to have serialized and pass a background check. And they use that one plastic part and then buy a kit full of metal parts and then create an entirely functional firearm. And so really, this is a a merging of 3D printing to help speed the ghost gun process. And so they're really two different things, but it's a very important distinction. One, the gun industry knows exactly what, what, what's going on. And sometimes people don't know about guns confused. 
That's David Chipman. He's a former special agent for the ATF and President Biden's former nominee to head the bureau. Now he's a senior policy fellow at a senior policy advisor, rather, at Giffords. That's an organization started by former Arizona Congresswoman Gabrielle Giffords, a Democrat, to end gun violence. Also with us today, Alex McCourt. He's an assistant professor at Johns Hopkins School of Public Health. He studies firearm policy. David, Professor McCourt, thanks for your time. Today's producer was Catherine Fink. This program comes to you from WAMU, part of American University in Washington, distributed by NPR. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening. We'll talk more soon. This is 1A.